Well, church family, before we open up the timeless word of God, let's prepare our hearts to receive his uh, truth, uh, which is absolute, uh, that can change the hardest heart, uh, that can transform one's thinking uh, to see uh, what always remains true, even if man does not acknowledge it. And that is the fact that God is holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. So let's bow as we commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, uh, we pause to collect our thoughts. Uh, We ask that your spirit would, in these moments we have together this morning as a church family, as a family of God, uh, as Ellington Baptist Church, uh, that all the distractions that can rob us of this time would be left at the foot of the cross. That your spirit would speak to our spirit to let us know that we are children of God. That your spirit would illumine the scriptures so that we can see what you want us to know today, uh, what you want us to know about you. Uh, And Lord, there is so much to know. May it not just be an intellectual exercise, but may your spirit apply it to our lives today so that we would see your glory, that we would be able to say each and every moment and every day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we pray all these things in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As you know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians together, and uh, today uh, is the uh, marks the beginning of the last push towards the end of chapter one, uh, as we consider Paul's prayer for the saints who are in Ephesus. Uh, and what I want you to see this morning, as we begin our time together, uh, is to see the heart of Paul. I want you to see his heart's desire. Uh, Because God had uh, stepped down and turned Paul's world inside out. A man who was religiously zealot, a religious zealot that believed in his mind and his heart that everything he believed was truth, yet it was fully devoid of truth. Because he had wrapped himself in a very uh, comfortable uh, amount of man-made laws as a fellow Pharisee, and God came in and changed his world. And it's undeniable. As you look at someone who was self-righteous, now seeing that his righteousness is only in Jesus Christ. And the heart that he has is a heart of someone who has been redeemed. And so I'd like you to see in a couple of examples, uh, these are not exhaustive, But we've been looking at what Jesus prayed. We've looked at uh, the fact that God wants to be known, uh, that we have knowledge that we can know about God that is not a special knowledge. Uh, It is a knowledge that comes from the Spirit of God, a knowledge that helps us take uh, the fact that God exists, the truth that God exists, and taking it to a personal level so that we can not just know about God, but that we would know the one true God. 
Uh, and that's what Paul's desire is, and we'll be able to see this uh, in three examples here uh, as we begin our time this morning, as we see a prayer to more deeply know Jesus Christ, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. The first one I'd like to present to you comes out of Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Because Paul, when he prayed, he prayed for others and prayed for the salvation of the lost. And see, this is something that every true believer in Jesus Christ should be praying. I know that everyone here this morning, everyone listening online, knows someone. Maybe someone as close as a spouse or a child or uh, a a family member uh, that uh, is not in your immediate household. A co-worker, an acquaintance at the grocery store people that you rub shoulders with from time to time that do not know Jesus Christ. They know about him. They know about God, but they don't know Jesus salvifically. And Paul's heart can be seen here in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And see, that should be at the heart of every believer here this morning. The only thing that should matter in relation to everything is knowing that the most important thing is what is yet to come. That each one of us is going to step into eternity and we're either going to know God because of Christ Jesus or we're going to know about God and find ourselves answering to the judgment Upon our sin before a holy, holy, holy God Almighty. And so Paul's desire in his heart is, is that they may be saved. He had a heart for his own people, but he also had a heart for everyone, that they would know what he knew. That he knew God, and he knew the love of Jesus Christ, and that he was known by God. And that is a stark contrast to who Paul was apart from Christ. And so his first thing is that he prayed for the lost. Second is that Paul prayed for fellow believers to do what is right. This comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and following. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. So the thing is, is you want to make sure that you truly know God and don't just know about God. And there'll be a reason for that that we'll see in, in a few moments. But he says, examine yourselves. So every believer that he's writing to, examine yourselves. So Ellington Baptist Church, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. The worst thing that could happen is to have a false faith. To think that you really, truly know God, but find out that you only knew about God. Paul goes on to say, but we pray to God that you may do no wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. See, the thing is, is we are all, even regenerate believers, capable of sin. That's why we need to examine ourselves. 
Because we should not be like the rest of the world. We should not have a love for the world. We should not lust after the things of the world. Because that's not who we are. We have been bought. We have been redeemed. We have been taken out of that. And so Paul's prayer is, he says, you know, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. So make sure that your election and calling are sure. Make sure that you're not just coming to church because you think coming to church is what you're supposed to do. Because the reason why we gather together here in this place is to honor and glorify the holy, holy, holy God Almighty. We don't have to come into his presence like this corporately to worship God. But there's something that cannot be duplicated. There's something that cannot be mimicked that happens when the body of believers, those who are the redeemed, come together to worship God corporately. And you need it. Each and every one of us. I need it. You need it. Because we need to know the one true God, and to know how to encourage one another. Because life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is disappointing. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have something the rest of the world does not have, and that is hope. And we have other believers that we can pour out our hearts to and be able to share even things that we would consider personal so that we can be there one for another on a horizontal level and take those, those burdens, those desires, those, those fears, those, those anxieties to the throne room of heaven because we can come into God's presence because of Christ. Paul prayed for his fellow believers to do what is right. And third, Paul prayed for his fellow believers to know the love of Christ. You can see that theme is, is repeated, you know, and if you took the time to pick up a concordance and look at the word know, you would see how many times in the scriptures it speaks to knowing God. And he says, I want you to know in, in a particular aspect the love of Christ. And it's actually later on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and we're not going to spend much time other than to reference it so that you can see something else that, that Paul prays for believers Picking up in verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So we see the submission. We see Paul coming into the presence of God. So he is humbly coming, remembering that God is holy, holy, holy. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So in other words, no one exists outside of God's creation. And God's inner working in the lives of everyone. It is from him that every family in heaven and on earth is named. No one exists in and of themselves. Verse 16. That according to the riches of the glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. For what reason? So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So his prayer was is that they would know the love of Christ. There is a stark reality that you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not truly see and understand the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth of Christ's love for you. That's why Paul is saying, I want you to know this. I want this to become a reality in your life. I don't want you to walk through life just thinking that putting your faith and trust in Jesus is all that that saving faith is, because it's not. It is so much more. God wants to show you so many things from his word to continue to reveal everything about him, that his attributes will come alive in your mind, things that you would not have considered apart from Christ. To know the power of of Christ's resurrection, to know that that same power that is almighty, that is pure and holy, will one day bring you home. To know a love that surpasses knowledge, so you can't wrap your mind around it. You can begin to understand it, and God can help you to begin to understand it. But I think there's going to be something wholly different. That even as we we pursue knowing God here on earth, until we step over that threshold into eternity and see our Savior and see the nail prints in his hands, that we're going to know a whole lot more the length, the height, the breadth, and the depth of the love of Christ that for sure surpasses knowledge. And a love that will fill you with the fullness of God. See, the thing is, if you're not actively pursuing, if you're not actively examining yourself before the Lord, if you're just going through life and coming to church week after week and not taking the time to feed yourself spiritually and seeking to grow in your relationship with him, then you are missing out on being filled to the fullness of God. Because what you're doing is you're operating in your own strength. You're not taking and plugging into the one spiritual source that, yes, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, makes you eternally secure. And when God the Father looks at you, he will see his righteous son's sacrifice. But the thing is, that's not the end. It's not enough to say that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Do you truly know Jesus Christ? Do you truly know and have a knowledge that passes all understanding? Because that's what the Spirit of God does. When you feed yourself through the Word of God, when you assemble together with other believers, when you spend time in prayer and praying for other people, when you, when you share other people's burdens, when you're willing to share your burdens with others, See, there's a dynamic here in this body of believers that is meant for the building up of the saints. Which, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you are a saint. You are one who has an inheritance waiting for you. You have a place that God has prepared for you. You have a spirit, the spirit of God, that lives in you and keeps you and seals you until the day of redemption. And that's there for a reason. It's not just so that we can say there's a church and there's a building and there's people that gather in it. 
It's so that we can live out our faith before one another. We can encourage one another in that like precious faith. So do you see the heart of Paul? Do you see what his heart now desires? His heart doesn't desire a self-righteousness or look at me and you need to change this. It's a humility. It is a desire to see others come to saving faith, to see others, you know, every day battling in those trenches, examining themselves to make sure that their election and calling is sure to make sure that they don't have a false faith or a faith that is based in something other than Jesus Christ. Maybe a faith that is based in works or in coming to church or saying or doing the right things for others to see. See, all those things will always fall short. It's only through Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul prayed for others, and that's not an exhaustive list by any extent. I picked those three Uh, But Paul has a prayer for the saints at Ephesus, which is where we find ourselves in the book of Ephesians. Uh, And uh, by way of introduction, we won't actually even dive into any of these points, but so that you have a sense of where we're going. So you have a sense of what Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesus. He prayed for them to have a more deeper knowledge in relation to the hope to which you've been called. To know that you are not like the rest of the world that is hopeless. That as you step into tomorrow that you don't have to fret and to worry and to have fear over what may or may not happen. Or to wonder what's going to happen a month from now or six months from now because you can trust Almighty God. With anything and everything. Verse 18 goes on to talk about a prayer to know more deeply the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. For you to realize is that, you know, again, saving faith is just not an end in itself. That you have an inheritance waiting for you because you are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. That you belong to God, you've been adopted into his family, and with that comes the privileges of being a son or daughter of Almighty God. Third, A prayer to more deeply know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. We're going to look at the power of God and his immeasurable greatness towards us who believe. So not only is there power in saving faith, but there's power in uh, Christian living. For us to be reminded as we take a look at five evidences that he wants to speak to in relation to the power of God, how immeasurable it is. As verse 20 speaks to it being evidenced in Christ being raised from the dead. Because if God did not raise Jesus from the dead, then what hope do we have? None. But you know what? Jesus isn't in the grave. No one stole his body. He laid down his life and he took it up again. God the Father raised him from the dead. And that's how we can see the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe because he will one day raise us to eternal life, giving us glorified bodies fit for eternity. It's also evidence in verse 20 in Christ being seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor, because Jesus did exactly what he was uh, commissioned to do 
what the Godhead decided before the foundation of the world, that the plan of salvation was going to be this, and this is how it's going to have to be, and this is when it's going to happen. And third, it's evidence in everything being made subject to Christ. So in other words, there's no principality, no power, nothing in this world, nothing in, the, in everything that we don't know that is not subject to Christ. He is, has the name that is above every name. He is above all. He is the Son of God. Fourth, evidenced in Christ being head over the church. And like I said, this is not my church. This is not your church. It's God's church. He is the one building it. He is the one bringing in believers. He is the one that is saving people and bringing them into the fold. And lastly, evidenced in Christ being the fullness of the church in verse 23. So those are the things that we're going to be taking a look at that we're going to be unpacking in the weeks to come so that we can understand and say with uh, uh, Paul as he penned in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as loss. And it doesn't mean that we cannot appreciate, it does not mean that we don't live in the world in which we find ourselves. But the thing is, is that they should never, ever take precedent, precedent, yeah. that's the word. <laughs> and I'm going to let it stay right there. Over our relationship with God and knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, that's how every believer should think. It doesn't mean we throw everything else away because we don't. Because God blesses us through all of those things that he blesses us with. Whether they're you know, familial, whether they're financial, whether they're physical, whether they're spiritual. No matter uh, what realm it may be in. The thing is, is that the first and foremost thing, the thing that we should say everything else is second to, is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, even in, in John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Speaking of himself. Because that's what matters. None of the rest of this world in which we live matters. What matters is who do you say Jesus is? And who is Jesus to you? Not that you frame him in some, you know, imaginary idea of what Jesus is because God has revealed himself to us. We know who Jesus is. Amen. The question is, do you know him and are you known by him? See, we are to come to know God in a spiritually intimate way. That may be strange to think and, and you may be having a hard time wrapping your, your mind around that. But there is a spiritual sense in which we can get into a, a deeper and more abiding fellowship with God. To know why we exist, and that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's something that will continue to grow. And, and just think about the, the, the earthly relationships you have. And think about how limited they are because of sin. Okay, That is not the case for those who belong to God. 
because our relationship with God can become more and more intimate as we spend more time in prayer with him, in communion with him, as we rub shoulders and encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we feed on his word. We live as if we, if we were to think about or even give a notion to not spending time with God on any particular day, that we would see that as anathema, that it should never be, because we would otherwise starve ourselves spiritually and deny us of what God is willing to give to us and to show to us as our relationship with him deepens. So that with the psalmist we say that my soul thirsts for you. The next few moments I'd like to share with you scripturally what I um, am putting forth as the progression of knowing God. Because there is a progression in relation to knowing God. The thing is, is that the first of these, uh, this progression, the beginning of it, is where we all once were. This characterized every, well it does, it characterizes every person on this planet. And that is, we know about God. There's a lot of people that know about God. And Paul in Romans chapter 1 Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So there are many in this world that know about God. They have a head knowledge of God, but they do not have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Or what they've done is they've framed in their mind what they think they're supposed to do, devoid of the truth of the word of God, which speaks to us and tells us exactly how things are to be and what things are yet to come. But there are many that are walking around thinking that they, they have an understanding and, and a lot of times they'll phrase it, well, you know, God will just accept me as I am. That I, I really, you know, that Jesus is really just one way to heaven. And the thing is, is that there are many that are walking around this planet that are deceived and thinking they know God, but really, in reality, they only know about God. Now, I'm beginning to think that God's trying to speak because at this point in my sermon this morning, the emergency equipment drove by at this precise moment. So this is an emergency. You need to listen to the word of God. See, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. It says, There are those that having a form of godliness but denying its power. See, there are people that are walking around that think they know God, but they truly do not know God. They know about him because they've made a God of their own making. Or they've, they've, you know, put God into a particular box that suits their needs or their wants or their desires. And that's not the one true God. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know the only true God. Because there are plenty of counterfeit gods out there. Counterfeit gods that you can tangibly hold with your hands, tangibly spend time with. They will not bring you one step closer 
to knowing the one true God. And many of those, as it tells us in Matthew chapter 7, will on that day say to God, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Probably the most scary, most humbling words will come out of the mouth of the Creator. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, this is why you need to examine yourself to make sure that you are in the faith, to make sure that your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because if it is not, then this is you. You may come to church every week. You, you may even be in a Bible study. But the thing is, unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you may be like these here that have a form of godliness, but there's no power there because the Spirit of God does not reside in them because the Spirit of God is in opposition to the flesh. So this is why Paul is saying, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Because there are going to be many people that are in our world today that will deceive you, and they themselves are being deceived. They are sheep, they are wolves in sheep clothing. And the thing is, is that's why we need to be in the word of God. We need to have his truth, because this progression starts right here, where we all once were. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, where you knew about God, but didn't know God. Which brings me to the second point is to know God salvifically. This means that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, that Jesus Christ is your redeemer, that you're not trying to work out, uh, you know, or work for your salvation. And I appeal to John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Someone who is redeemed and they love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. See, they are the ones that in Matthew 25, 34, where it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, these are people that are completely distinct from those who know about God because they actually know God. And they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The thing is, that is not the end in this progression. But you know, there are many Christians that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ or are barely getting by on life support spiritually. Because they're not feeding themselves. They're not putting themselves in situations where they can be fed. They're not putting themselves, you know, amongst other believers where they can, as iron sharpens iron, sharpen one another. So that they are no longer infants, but uh, mature in the faith. So that they cannot be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because there are a lot of people, and we live in a technological age, and we are in the age of information. And the thing is, there's a lot of stuff on that internet that may look good, may sound good, but are lies from Satan himself because they don't know Jesus Christ salvifically. Which takes us to the next progressionary point, and that is to know God 
experientially. See, this is the sanctification part of knowing God. This is growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. This is abiding with God. This is walking with God along life's narrow way. That the the Holy Spirit is your guide. That the word of God is a a, a lamp uh, unto your, your foot and a light to your path. To show you where you are and where you need to go. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So that's someone who identifies with Jesus Christ. They have put their saving faith in Jesus Christ and they know that they are going to be hated by the world. And the thing is, is if the world loves you, then you need to examine yourself because the world should not love you. Matter of fact, the world should hate you because they hate the truth, because they hate Jesus Christ. They want nothing to do with Jesus Christ because they're still living in the flesh. See, you were meant to grow. You were meant to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with your Savior. To go beyond just saving faith so that you can experientially know the God of all. To have him speak truth into your life. To be able to pray with him in in communion and know that he is listening to you. Because your desire is for uh, his will to be done in your life. Because you know that is the very best thing that can happen. They've tasted and seen that God is good. And they can't get enough of God. As a matter of fact, the more that they seek after God, the more that they experience God's presence, the more that they are walking with and talking with God, they cannot get enough. To the point where they are filled to the fullness of God. And fourth, in that progression, going from someone who knows about God to knowing God salvifically to knowing God experientially, is that there is a day coming Praise the Lord that we will know God perfectly without the hindrance of sin, without any apprehension, without any looking through the glass dimly because our our faith will be made sight. Everything will be crystal clear. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. See, that's going to be a glorious day. A day that we, you know, with anticipation, long for. And every believer should be longing for that because they know the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge. Because they they walk with God each and every day through the ups and downs of life which life is full of ups and downs, heartaches and triumphs. Days where you're stretched thinner than you could ever possibly imagine. But yet one verse, one thought, one way in which the Spirit shows you just what you need at that moment. There's going to be a day coming where We won't have to worry about any of that because there won't be any worry. Our knowing God will be perfect. No doubt. 
though not knowing. So how should this inform our lives today as we consider this prayer to know more deeply or to more deeply know? I want you to turn in our last couple of moments together to Genesis chapter 3. This is a call. And this, this text here, uh, in starting in verse 18, is immediately following Adam and Eve disobeying God's command. <coughs> There's bones in that water. <coughs> Genesis chapter 3. Hopefully I'll be able to speak. Starting in verse 8. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Something that they were very familiar with. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, what was a beautiful, unhindered relationship where Adam and Eve in purity and holiness were able to walk and with God and hear God in the garden, all of a sudden find themselves hiding from God. And I want you to know this is not a, you know, a game of hide and seek between God and Adam. God knew exactly where Adam was. God knew exactly what Adam did. But we're given this to give a picture of what happens to someone who is in the presence of holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, when they are a sinner in that presence. You hide yourself. Verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Where are you, Adam? God knew. Adam knew where he was. Adam knew what he had done. God knew what Adam had done. Where are you? I'm sure those words haunted his conscience at that point. Because at that moment, he knew. He knew even before that moment. But this is where the accountability, this is where standing in judgment before the holy God of all. Those words haunted his conscience. Where are you? Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid. See, this is what sin does. It causes us to be afraid of the holy God of all. Because God's holiness reveals us for what we truly are, and that is sinners. We've disobeyed God, and therefore, God's coming looking for us, saying, Where are you? What have you done? Knowing full well where you are and what you've done. But it reminds me of 1 John 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, the reason why Adam was afraid of God, the reason why he and Eve hid, is because they were afraid of punishment. Because their eyes had been opened to that which God was protecting them from. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. 
Verse 11, God saying, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, these are questions are here for our benefit. God knew. This is not a surprise to God. He knew that Adam had eaten. Because otherwise, why was Adam hiding from God? And the thing is, is that the presence of God and his holiness, which pierces everywhere, there is not a dark corner anywhere in all of everything that is created that that God's holiness does not pierce. He knew his law had been broken. And what does sinful man say? Verse 12. Instead of saying, before you and you alone, God, have I sinned. I did the one thing you told me not to do. A perfect opportunity to repent and throw himself on the mercy of God Almighty. What does he do? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. See, that's what sinful people do. They hide and they put blame on someone else. They don't take ownership for their sin. They suppress the truth about their sin. I'm not a sinner or I'm better than someone else. And Eve even having an opportunity here to do the right thing. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you see sinful hearts apart from God's intervention are not righteous. There's none, no, not one. Even after walking with God in holiness, this is what sinful man does. So where are you in knowing the one true God? And the interesting thing is, is that, you know, they said that they were naked and they hid themselves. Well, verse 25 of chapter 2 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's before they ate of the tree. So see, disobedience has a consequence. And so what was very natural for them to be physically naked, but also spiritually naked before the holy God of all. They didn't need to hide. They were not ashamed. There was no fear of punishment because they were existing in perfect love. But see, the thing is, Hebrews 4.13 is true. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You cannot hide from God. You may think you can, but there's a day coming that may be here sooner than you think because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You may be as healthy as an ox, But the moment that God takes away the sustaining power of your life, you enter into eternity. Everything is exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Even Adam and Eve in a perfect paradise. A garden that God made and it was good. Man and woman that he made and it was very good. Where are you in knowing the one true God? Do you know about God and suppress the truth of knowing him in a personal way, knowing him salvifically, 
But see, today is the day to repent. Today is the day to throw yourself on the mercy of God Almighty, the one who is holy, holy, holy. Stop hiding in the bushes. Trust Jesus Christ as the only one who can save you, the only one who can redeem you from your circumstances, redeem you from your awful sinfulness so that you'll be able to walk and talk and to know perfectly in fullness without the hindrance of sin one day, the God of all. Would you bow with me for a closing word of prayer? Father, my prayer for each one here this morning in person as well as those listening online is that they truly know your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That the trappings of this world would not continue to have a death grip on them, but instead that by your grace and your mercy that the Spirit of God would perform spiritual surgery to take their hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh so that they may see and know you, the one true God. Because that is eternal life, to know Jesus Christ whom you have sent, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one through whom no one will see you except through him. And Lord, I pray for each believer here too today because this message is not just a message of salvation and a call of where are you for salvation, but also to every believer, where are you? Are you content in a stagnant state of being and knowing God salvifically? Or do you know God experientially and are waiting for the day when you'll know God perfectly? Lord, help us to know the difference. Help us to see the importance of of walking with you each and every day. Help us to see that your word is applicable to everything that we experience in life, that you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Jesus is all we need. Thank you, Father. In your son's name, amen.